in this episode of the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about uh, a side of the training in Qigong or Tai Chi or, or something that that often gets overlooked. And it, it's strange because I don't think it, it should be overlooked. But it's the it's the mental cultivation side of the of the art. Now, by the by the fact that I'm saying that it sounds strange, right? Because these are internal arts, Tai Chi, Qigong, uh, meditation, and so on. They're, they're internal arts. So by the by the very nature of the associations we have with them, we would assume that some kind of um, mental training is taking place or some kind of cultivation. Um, but but that's sadly not not always the case. There's a confusion in these arts, I think, especially in Qigong, where people maybe sometimes they read the terminology, you know, like uh, Jing to Qi to Shen, essence to energy or vitality to to spirit or something. The people assume that by the very act of doing the art, practicing Qigong, that there is some kind of mental cultivation uh, taking place. In actual fact, it's not true. It's not true. It's not an automatic. It's not an automatic process. I've known people that have gone through um, extensive Qigong or Tai Chi training and really not led, in my opinion, which is all it is, only my opinion, has not really led them to much in the way of cultivation. Not not much change. So maybe to define why I want to define a little bit about uh, what what cultivation is to me. Yeah, because everybody um, has ideas. Oh, this is Fester, by the way, the little uh, dog that's joined here. This is Fester the hound. He's a he's a slightly smelly mutt, but he's joined me. And he's going to pick his um, feet clean of dirt on the couch throughout the throughout the episode. It would seem. <laughs> Never mind. Um, uh, yeah, to, to define exactly what it is, because most people will, will heard about things like enlightenment or awakening, or, or you know, it's people have some very grandiose ideas in these arts right from the beginning, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a few phrases um, that that really are quite, or, or a few terms that really discuss uh, cultivation practice within these arts. And they're, they're always to do with the mind. They're not to do with the spirit. You hear you hear terms like, um, uh, you know, Xinjiang and uh, things like this, or um, Tongxin. Tongxin is an interesting one. People, like, I think the way it's used in Chinese language, just conversational, is kind of like um, innocence or, or something like this, Tongxin. But it's used a little bit differently in the arts because it, it means to um, essentially have the quality of mind um, that doesn't have a consolidated sense of self, I suppose. Um, and the idea is that Tongxin, to have this quality of mind, uh, sometimes in martial arts they might call it the um, beginner's mind, I suppose, um, which is a more profound statement than people might think. Or in um, meditation people might call it like the childlike mind or something like that. Uh, you know, there's different ways they call it, but Tongxin is the phrase in Chinese. And he's really digging around it. What have you got in your feet? You're walking in mud. So uh, this this quality of mind really is to me what people should be cultivating alongside their practice. You know, it's it's not an automatic thing. It's not going to happen through qigong practice. You're not going to automatically become a more profound person or, or something like this or, or more at peace. You you have to actually uh, there's there's this, a level of self scrutiny that must take place um, at the same time. You've got to remember that originally these arts. Qigong or meditation were part of a, a larger, what should we call them, spiritual tradition or a wisdom tradition or, or something like this. They were part of a wider tradition originally, whether that be Taoism or Hinduism or Buddhism or, or whatever. Um, and gradually they become increasingly divorced from those traditions is, is what generally happened in many cases. And sometimes even now when people attach those practices to the traditions, in my opinion, they often make the mistake of attaching the practice to the wrong part of the tradition. So they think that, you know, if I do Qigong and Feng Shui at the same time, that makes it Taoist Qigong. Or maybe if I do <laughs> Qigong and learn how to do a tea ceremony or something, that's going to make me more Taoist. Or, or maybe if I, I dress up in the clothes and have a top knot, maybe that'll make me more Taoist or, or, or whatever people do. But in actual fact, really, the, the tradition, aside from lineage and everything like that, had a kind of flavor to it and that flavor was largely based in the cultivational uh, side of it if you look at the writings around many of these traditions there are methods contained within it that's true methodologies things we uh, use to assist us in our development there are rules and teachings 
but there are many things that are discussing the quality of mind, the quality of relationship to ourself, um, how do we relate to our own sense of being, and how do you relate to others, ultimately, and, and in, in, at a higher level in the traditions, they don't really make much of a uh, distinguishing separation between the two. But this cultivation was always practiced, or, or should be, alongside your art, you know. So if we take Negong, for example, Negong is a tradition. Now in Negong, there are various uh, stages of development. Um, it is quite linear. In fact, if you look at many of the traditions and, and things people need to achieve or can achieve or whatever. But uh, many people don't get there. <laughs> you know, people don't get there. These days, people think it's a, a really big um, achievement if they get a bit of warmth in the abdomen or, or, or the, they feel something move through their spine or something like this. These kind of mechanical processes that take place in Qigong. But then the, those aren't really anything. They're just steps along the way, very early steps as well. And, and, and then people kind of get stuck or glass ceiling in their practice, and they don't really know why. And, and that's what happens. You practice, you practice, you practice, then you plateau. Uh, and, and so what people will do when they plateau is then they'll think, oh, I need a new method. I need a better method. That's what I need. I need a better method. Or I need a new method. I need a new set of Qigong. That's what I do. Or, or maybe, maybe because I've plateaued in Qigong, maybe I need yoga. Or maybe I plateaued in yoga as well. Now, so maybe I, maybe I need meditation. Yeah, that's true. And I need to have every type of meditation. So I have to have the Buddhist meditation, the Hindu meditation, and I have to have the, the Taoist meditation. I have to have the, and, and, and that. Or, or maybe they blame the teacher. You know, and it, oh, I can't get it. It's because the teacher doesn't know what he's doing. It's not authentic. I need to go. And you get all of these kind of things going on. And, and after a while of, of being plateaued in one thing they're very quickly if they're honest with themselves realize they plateau in the next thing and plateau in the next thing and plateau in the next thing and ultimately they'll plateau or reach a glass sailing ceiling um at a similar kind of stage in whatever art or whatever practice they they go to or whatever teacher they um they study under and and the reason is because because of the cultivation that there are various keys to unlock stages of progression if you worry about such things i suppose uh, and many times those are to do with the quality of mind that you have. I mean, one of the greatest teachings of the East is that for anything that unfolds or manifests or has the illusory um, appearance of manifesting, there are always causes and conditions. Uh, and these are things that we have to come to terms with or we have to learn how to understand within our arts causes and conditions and and in the early stages you're not really aware of these so you just kind of do the practice but then as you go deeper you realize oh right the practice is a cause that leads to an effect okay i need to master the cause to get the effect and some people when they get that trigger they stop chasing the effects they start studying the causes then the effects will arise as a byproduct so that's one major step but then what they're still missing often is the conditions have to be right in order for the cause to lead to the effect and sometimes those um, conditions are based in correct alignments or correct method, that's true. But more importantly, the majority of the conditions are based in your quality of mind, in your quality of, of mental cultivation. Now, I don't want to be all, all high and mighty and speak down to people because I think it's very um, unhealthy for someone to do that. And, and I don't feel like that about people either. I don't, so I don't want to come across as that. That's not my aim. And, and I can't say that I don't have the same problems. That I, uh, I Certainly, there's places I get stuck within my tradition, within my art, of course. But at the same time, I have been around a while and I, I, in these arts, and I can see little um, patterns of behavior that suggest to me that Perhaps people aren't understanding sometimes, some, many do, but some don't. And, and really this is to help those that, that don't, if I can. Is that they don't understand the conditions of their mind or how important the condition of the mind is. Um, and and this, is, this is really what I wanted you to understand. What, or, or want to try to explain, what are the conditions of mind? Ultimately for me, the Chinese phrase that sums it up is Tongxin. Okay. If... If we look at many of the cliched phrases that are spoken about within the Eastern arts, they're, they're accurate. They're definitely accurate. They, they are cliches, you know, and I mean things like, you know, uh, well, I can't even think of a cliche now. Um, you know, you mustn't have a sense of self or something like this or, or, or don't identify, cling or attach. These things become cliched phrases. And obviously what they are is the core of the traditions, but they become spoken so much. Um, with very little meaning or understanding behind them, that they become just things that people are sort of platitudes that people are repeating all of the time, and, and they lose all of their they lose all of their meaning. 
if it's if it's still there between your toes, you, you spend a long time on trying to get that out. Maybe it's there to stay, buddy. Let's have a look. <laughs> well, glad I don't have that kind of stuff stuck in my feet. Um, so here's an example, really. I mean, maybe it's best to speak in examples. Here's a one that, that strikes me. I mean, I think that someone who's chosen a path of cultivation, this is just the word I have, right? Someone who's cultivating, so trying to achieve some kind of elevation that implies from one place higher than another. So I don't like that. An evolution, maybe? I don't know. Um, you know, but it, I mean, an evolution towards a better state of being, more peace inside, more happiness, more contentment, more comprehension, more insight, maybe enlightenment, it doesn't matter, but cultivating towards a particular state. If their art is being used for that, then there are certain qualities you would expect to see across um, cultivators, okay? So you could, you could, you could divide the qualities that a cultivation, cultivator should have up into stages. The earliest stages, I suppose, should be a good ethical, um, an ethical framework. And, and this is a funny one, isn't it? Like if I talk about ethics or manners or, or mor morals, something like that, it's surprising how many people get um, offended. They get upset by that concept that you should have morals or ethics. I mean, I get a lot of people come to want to learn of me. And they come straight away and they confront me with, with rudeness. It's strange, it's, and it's not their fault. I think that um, sometimes people just don't know how to interact with others, so they get nervous, so they, they tend to come up and they produce very bad manners. They're very demanding, they're very entitled. I want this, I want that, this is what you're going to do. It's, it's very, um, which to me I, I find um, very rude right from the beginning. It might be because I'm British, I'm not sure. We have a very sort of um, set, like any country does, set way of dealing with, with people or communicating. And, and to me, I think that when you meet somebody, generally there's, a, there's an air of getting to know each other a little bit and, and chatting rather than demands right from the beginning. Um, or, you know, and, and what normally happens is you just, you just overlook it. It's no problem because everybody's different. But then if you watch people after a while, some people just don't have basic manners. Like you, you pass the first meeting, you can't really put it down to nerves anymore. You, you meet them and you've known them for a few months and they're just really rude. And for me, um, I don't even teach those people after a while. If they clearly don't have any manners, then I, I don't teach them. There's no judgment especially other than I, I think they're rude, I suppose. I suppose that is a minor judgment in its own sense. But I, it just shows to me that the person doesn't even have the basic qualities that is required in order to train so uh, or to cultivate. So I, I would look and I think, well, what's the point of trying to study awakening or enlightenment or whatever it is you want or just to have supreme levels of health and skill internally if you can't even do the first thing, which is is to have manners. Manners must be there first, you know, and you, you can learn that anywhere. You can, you can look at yourself, look at how other people will interact, look at the effects you have on other people, and then go away and, and, and learn some manners. And, and I think that that has to be first. You know, that's like the most basic level of what a human being needs in order to interact. Other than that, then you have sort of morals and ethics. You have to have a code um, that might be individual to you, maybe, you know, but your, your moral or ethical code that you use in order to interact with people. And again, if you don't have those, basic morals or ethics about not doing hurting people and, and so on and so on um, for your own gain or whatever your morals or ethics might be then really that's the start point of your practice that's the start point of your practice that's before you want to learn how to fill the dantian or or open the microcosmic orbit or become a master of tai chi or something like that you have to have good morals and, and ethics this this is not really a a no-brainer. This is an. This is a no-brainer to me. Sorry, got that wrong around. It is a no-brainer to me. It's just kind of obvious. Um, but it's strange how many people don't see that uh, anymore. And I think we're moving into an age where what I'm learning is if you if you say to people you discuss morals or ethics, a lot of people you can almost feel their hair sort of bristling on the on the back of their neck. They get a bit annoyed because they don't want to talk about morals or ethics because they come from um, the mindset that everything must be deconstructed and, and if it's something that's been given to you by society then it must be evil and, and morals or ethics are just pre-programmed man and they probably come down from organized religions and so on and so on. And yeah, fine, there might be an aspect of truth in that but ultimately morals and ethics were um, created as a society um, amongst human beings so that we could learn how to interact with each other without, without hurting or upsetting each other and, and things like this. So I think that morals and ethics have their place. But often what people also miss is that um, there's a cultivational aspect to morals and ethics as well. And, and the intertwined nature of the mind and the energy body and the physical body 
um, also means that you can't even do the things internally that are required without the right morals or ethics. And I've said this to people, and they look they look <laughs> really shocked and really surprised. But I've known I've known, for example, um, quite quite high level practitioners that have strange or develop strange moral or ethical behavior that are really hurting or taking advantage of people. And often what you see is at that stage, their training stops. It's like their development can't go any further either. Uh, they, they literally get stuck because there is a correlation between, between the two. And this is largely to do with this term called tongxin, okay, which I'll go deeper into um, in a little bit. But this morals and, and ethics that we have right at the beginning these are things we can easily take care of ourselves. I mean, if we're honest, we know what is right and wrong, unless there's something wrong with you. You're sociopathic or psychopathic or had a really dodgy upbringing or, or something. Or, you know, most of us know what right or, or wrong is, and, and we should need to look at ourselves. And the first stage of cultivation is to really um, apply this very strong uh, framework to ourselves and live by it doesn't necessarily mean we apply it to others. I mean, this is the other danger, isn't it? If you apply a very strong moral and ethical code to yourself, um, you can get quite angry when people don't apply it to their lives. But it's difficult, isn't it? Because as a teacher, I expect a certain level of moral and ethical conduct. Um, and sometimes those things are broken. And sometimes I'm quite horrified by people's behavior. Even people I've known a lot of years. And then they just do something that's like mind-blowing with regards to their morals or ethics. And I have a difficult decision because... Uh, there's some things you can work around some things are so bad that you don't ever want to teach that person anymore that it's time for them to go especially if it's hurting other people within the group but at the same time you you can't really be surprised because you people can't i mean everybody has a different way of being i didn't explain that very well you know it's like i i have a certain moral and ethical code that i i choose to adhere to but i guess i can't be shocked or highly surprised if other people don't live to the same moral or ethical code because everybody has their own experiences and their own way of living but then there are some things that collectively we know are wrong um, and if those kind of things are broken those kind of codes and it's starting to damage a group then unfortunately you, you have to remove people from a group it's one of the the least pleasant parts of teaching i suppose um, that and the the paperwork but so all of this all of this kind of stuff exists on the most base level of, of, um, of cultivation. And all right, it is basic. You know, I'm talking morals and ethics and manners. But they must be there. They are the foundation. You can consider that kind of like the physical aspect of, of personal cultivation. They have to be there first. Every tradition agreed with it, that it was there. There was very few, there was very small branches of some parts of Hinduism, for example, and things like this that tried to break out of that construct. But it's not... It was a very small percentage, and sometimes what happened is, is modern writers or teachers have expanded that out to give it a lot more gravitas than it would have had originally, as if the kind of the whole tradition believed in no ethics or morals or so. But that really wasn't the case. Taoism falls foul of that all the time. They say that um, they take one particular passage from the Tao Te Ching, um, which was actually discussing something else. It was metaphorical, but they use the metaphor of, of rules, and when rules are applied, it it makes people break, but it was metaphorical for something else. But they take that concept and apply it, saying that a person should just act. Uh, anyhow they they want to um, which really isn't the case which is why some of the most unethical teachers you find are within the Taoist tradition um, in my opinion um, the only reason you don't see that more prominently in the West is because of the small percentage of Taoist teachers who teach according to the Taoist tradition compared to um, Hindu or Buddhist but if you had an equal number of the three traditions you see the worst morals and the biggest taking advantage of other people often from the Taoist tradition because of that um, that misunderstanding He's a very smelly dog, but he's cute, so we can forgive him. Hmm. So, then on top of this, um, the next one we have really, I think that the next quality that should be applied to cultivation uh, in order to help you in your development is, is peace. It's peace. Like, to be peaceful and comfortable um, with regards to yourself and with regards to others. This to me is the next stage of cultivation really. Once I have a, a moral and ethical code and manners that enables me to deal with and interact with the world, you know, in, in a sensible fashion. But then after this, I need to be at peace uh, on the inside. And I think it's kind of funny that people talk about peace, like to be peaceful, to be tranquil, as if it's kind of the aim of the arts. Sometimes I've seen people talk about this, yeah, when you're in a peace, 
Actually, inner peace is one of the foundations that we maybe not achieve perfectly, but we should strive for um, and should have as a kind of baseline the majority of the time. And that then becomes a springboard for cultivation. So this is sometimes I'm like, I'm backwards with how I view these things. People, So some people, for example, think you study meditation to become peaceful. I think you become peaceful so that then you can study meditation. You know, I, I think it's the other way around. I think that the 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 error people have made in that is they think that meditation is a form of psychology um, or a form of um, psychological cultivation, but it's not actually. It's the, the psychology must be of your mind must be at a certain stage in order for the meditation to work. And it's the same for the qigong as well. Too many people are doing qigong who I've met over the years. If I do my exercises, I'll be peaceful and happy and content. And it's like, no, you need to be peaceful and happy and content in order for the exercises to work, uh, <laughs> to take you past a certain stage. And this is your problem, is you're trying to use the practice as a crutch. And, and the, the fact that you're using a crutch is why your practice isn't working, because you're just glass ceiling, because you, you haven't realized that ultimately the, the spiritual side of Qigong or the cultivational side is not about being peaceful or healthy or happy. Those things must be there for it to work. And this is... And this is really important. And, and how do we do these things? Well, really, it's, it's the cultivation side. It's the, the scrutiny and the development of mind and looking at ourselves and understanding our actions and self-exploration. These things that often we'll see in meditation traditions. Sorry, I'm just adjusting the microphone a bit. We'll see it in meditation traditions and, and talked about in things like Vedanta or Buddhism or, or whatever. But then people assume that it because it's not discussed in Qigong teachings, it's not there. It, it is, it's just not explicitly explained because the tradition itself would have discussed those things, whereas Qigong is just one aspect of the tradition. Tai Chi is one aspect of the tradition, discuss mechanics. But the assumed idea was that you also had the personal cultivation side of it coming from the spiritual tradition from which that art came. It all becomes problematic once you divorce an art from a tradition. If you divorce a tool from a tradition and then think that the tool is still going to work as effectively as it did before, it's not going to. Definitely not. And you see this now, I see Qigong websites, people say you don't need, it actually says it on the websites, you don't need to understand Buddhism or Taoism um, to practice uh, Qigong or you don't need to understand Hinduism to practice yet. Yes, you do. You definitely do. If you want to get past a certain stage in the training, you do. And I'm sorry if that's offensive to all the people who think you can just look at it with a Western context, but you can't. Maybe you can practice Qigong or yoga to increase your flexibility in the case of yoga, I suppose, or to relax in the case of Qigong without Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism being there. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You could do that. Will you ever access the higher parts of these arts? No. No, you will not. You definitely will not be able to because the traditions ultimately um, point the way. They are the finger pointing at the moon, if you like, that shows you what are the cultivational qualities um, with regards to your behavior and your self-understanding and your self-scrutiny that must be there in order to make those arts work at their highest levels. Does that mean that people can't be ethical or moral with a Western uh, framework? No, not at all. But there are very specific mental qualities that provide the conditions in order for the causes of your practice to create the effects. And this is the difference. Buddhism, Taoism, and Hinduism, the three I generally talk about, they don't even have the same conditions. They don't even apply the same conditions. They apply similar conditions, but, um, but different enough that we could call them different traditions. Each of those applies a different set of conditions to the causes that creates the effect. So if Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism have different sets of conditions, then obviously Western, uh, a Western scientific mindset is going to have a different set of conditions as well. So it's very, very complicated. It becomes a, a very in-depth study. And this becomes a major part of training as well. I've known people who go crazy and they, they get five, six hours, seven hours, eight hours a day practice. I've known lots more teachers who say they've done periods of eight hours a day's practice when they never really have, but they put it in their CVs so that they get more students, but it's really not the case. Um, but then I have most, many, here's a little secret. Most teachers' CVs are massively fabricated and exaggerated. I know, because I, I know the training background of many of the teachers, but there you go, that's another story. Um, but I have met students who go crazy with regards to how many hours they do. Um, and often what happens is they, they develop for a while, uh, the practice gets better, their art gets better, their chi gets developed and what have you. But then they go out ceiling again. And often what's missing again is the cultivation. Uh, so what needs to happen? Well, they need manners, they need morals, they need ethics as a baseline. 
Um, and then from there, they need the self-exploration process to achieve some kind of inner peace. Um, and this inner peace will then propel their practice um, to lead them towards towards a sort of evolution of evolution of being and evolution of spirit, whatever it is that they be practicing for. If we, um, oh yeah, I was going to talk about examples. Here's a funny one, isn't it? Politics. Here's a funny one, isn't it? It's the, it's the, it's the thing you can't discuss, politics. The subject you can't discuss anywhere, can you? Especially not on social media or at family dues. <laughs> you can't discuss politics. Unless everybody has 100% the same view, um, of course, then it's okay. But generally people do have different views. But it surprises me how many um, people who would claim to be cultivators that I see arguing over politics. Now, this is where I, I disagree with, with some people, I guess, or my, my stance does, is that I don't think a cultivator should really argue about politics. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't have a viewpoint on politics, if you wish to. That's okay. You might be left-leaning. You might be right-leaning. Um, but I don't think you should argue or become venomous or or insulting or angry about politics. And I find this one a very strange one, especially in the Qigong world. Because in the Qigong world, um, what you get is, obviously I'm connected via social media and, and social networks, I suppose. It's, always, it's all virtual stuff, isn't it? But I do know real people as well. You know, I'm, I'm quite in the community of people who do Qigong and, and yoga and meditation and, and stuff as well. Uh, and many of those people would consider themselves cultivators, but the, they all, a lot of them tend to be left-leaning by the very nature of the kind of people that come into these arts. Not everybody. I've got some very right-leaning um, peers, I suppose you call them, or other people I know who teach from these arts, but most tend to be very left-leaning. Because I think, like I say, because the kind of people that come into these kind of arts is just uh, the sort of demographic. Um, and what happens is, is they'll be really venomous in their approach to politics. They'll claim to be cultivators, but then, then if they hear something that is a little deviated from what they think is politically right, straight away they're on the attack. They get very, very angry, very, very insulting um, towards people. And I've seen that a lot lately in politics. Now, I'm not right-leaning, so I'm not even saying... Um, I'm not even using that as an attack on the left, especially, or anything like that, because that's what people will read into this straight away. I'm not at all, because I have uh, right-leaning friends, politically, who do the same. Uh, they'll see something the left do, or they perceive to be the left, and they get very, very angry and very, very insulting. And again, I find that strange uh, from the point of view of a cultivator. I think it's okay to uh, say, this is my view, to have a view. I have a view. I have a political view. My personal political view is not actually very important um, because I'm not here to teach politics in any way, shape or form. I'm here to teach Qigong and meditation and what have you. And it, it does surprise me that one of the things I'm asked a lot as a teacher, people want to know my political view um, as if that has some impact upon what's going on. I mean, recently someone asked me something politically and I gave an answer they disagreed with. Um, so they immediately left the school, which is fair enough, I suppose, if that's important to you, that I have a shared view, then that's your, your choice to leave. But then bombarded with me with sort of angry <laughs> messages on social media about my viewpoints. And I thought that was, um, I thought it was fine. I thought it was quite typical, but it shows a missing of the point. And, and what, I, what I always try to point out to people with regards to politics is you can't really be angry at someone for their viewpoint. I think it's strange to be angry at someone for their viewpoint because ultimately your viewpoints are not your choice. And, th and this, is, um, <laughs> this is something that, that um, I guess I don't agree with everybody on because a, a lot of people are under the illusion that they have a lot more free will over how they think or feel. And you really don't, in my opinion. You don't. And this is part of the problem with um, identification. It's that because it's not created by you, it's something given to you, uh, then generally what happens is it erodes your free will. And if it erodes your free will, then it takes away that which is spontaneous. So it takes you further away from cultivation. It takes you further away from Tongxing, which is this non-identification with something. So if somebody was a cultivator to me, that this is the process they should be exploring. And I know by talking about politics, some people are going to yawn because they're sick of hearing about politics and they don't come to listen to me for politics. And some People will get annoyed because even the word politics makes them see red or, or something. But you're missing the point. I'm just using it as an example. If it's upsetting, I'm using it as an example. I really am for, for cultivation. So why do I say that people can't choose their political view? 
I don't mean in a simplistic way. People always assume I mean because your parents were conservative or you're conservative or something like this, and, and that's not what I mean. But essentially, um, your political view is chosen intellectually, largely. I mean, we can't really argue it's much else. You don't intuit your political stance because ultimately politics, the left-right um, or centrist, I suppose, position that people take in life um, is a very mind-based thing. I mean, if you have political parties of two opposing sides disagreeing with each other, that's mind versus mind. That's that's intellect versus intellect. It's it's not, not often based upon intuition. It might be based upon feelings, especially um, with certain political decisions. But again, feelings aren't intuition. Not at all. Those are your feelings. And sometimes people mix those up, intuition and feelings. I got this feeling. Yeah, that's not your intuition. That's largely based upon your, your somatic experience of an emotional movement. That's not the same thing. So, but why I say that, that your political stance is um, largely based upon something you didn't choose is because it's generally based upon experience. That's it, experiences. And you don't choose your experiences. You don't choose the experiences you have. You might, you might have some say in it. You know what I mean? Like, I might choose to move over to this country and do this thing, but I, I can't dictate on a day-to-day -day basis the experiences I have. So those experiences started very young, maybe from your parents, I suppose, and your teachers and your social group, your friends, you have those. Those are experience. You experience the things that, that happen when you're with them or their viewpoints and, and so on and so on. Then you have the experience of, of what else? Well, your, your socio-political experience with regards to politics. So maybe you experience um, poverty or experience a position of wealth or you experience a social group um, an ethnic group or a, a socio-political group or whatever, I don't know, community that's different from yours or the same as yours or you have interactions, you might have positive and negative interactions with that group. So this is one level of experience. You then have the experience of the media. You have that, okay, so I have what the news is telling me, I have what, what's going on here, I have what's going on there. Now it's even worse because you have social media's news. And a, there was a, a time when everybody turned away from what they call mainstream media towards alternative or social media which was seen as like um, the holy grail was oh, and people you hear this maybe five years ago maybe maybe longer now people i don't listen to mainstream media i get my news off the internet as if that was better that's a worse thing i tell you why it's a worse thing because if you you only have to look at the algorithms for social media to see how they choose what they give you what you look at so everybody knows that what you search for they show you i'm sure by now you've noticed if you talk about something it won't be long before Facebook is trying to sell it to you because obviously there's a uh, they they're able to pick up um, on the, your not only your search terms but I believe on your your speaking as well and, and and they'll present things to you they think you want and it's very very effective the marketing but on top of that as well you're often shown things that agree with your political stance or with your interest because social media wants to get you engaged um, in a topic. So I see this politically because what happens is if someone's very left-leaning, especially at the moment it's very strong because of the whole American um, uh, uh, you know, election that's coming up between Trump and, and Biden. Biden? 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 I don't know, don't know how to say his name, to be honest. Um, but you have this whole political uh, sort of debate coming up. And what happens is if people are very left-leaning, then what happens after a while is social media tends to give them a lot of left-leaning stuff. Uh, so you 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 see all this sort of media that supports your viewpoint, um, and consequently you think that everybody votes left or everybody is left leaning. You think you're the majority, um, and you're supported in that viewpoint. So you you start to feel very sensible because of course this is sensible because what happens is social media now gives me things to support my view to show me that I'm true. Yeah, that's right. That makes sense. So then what happens is you you're lulled into the full sense of security that you are in the majority, you are in the sensible position because all the things you see support your arguments, all these experiences. So then anyone who has a different viewpoint, who is right-leaning, for example, is either a psychopath or um, an outlier or uh, uh, somebody who's in a minority or a freak case, or, or clearly they just don't, they're not sensible because they're not, they don't, they can't see the sensible data like you do. But then on people on the right, side people i don't mean right as incorrect i mean right wing right they say what they do is they get lots of right wing data so they get they get alt right stuff or maybe they get sort of right wing news or or 
or very um, factual-based intellectual data that, that tends to come through about finances and so on and so on and whatever. And they see all of that, and it's exactly the same, is they then believe that they have a very logical standpoint because all this, the stuff that they're receiving via the telephone and via the computer screen and what have you is supporting them, is telling them that, yes, this is true, and it's very compelling data. And then they believe that the left are the outliers and the extremists because that's not the information they're seeing. And why can't the left see this compelling data that clearly means the right is, is you know, is correct in, the, in their viewpoint? And this is happening all the time. And this is really where social or alternative media becomes a problem because it puts you into an echo chamber um, that, as far as I can see, leads to a kind of self-righteousness uh, after a while. So... <laughs> Again, just using politics as an example, because this happens on, on every aspect of our life. It happens on COVID. Okay, so COVID-19 right now is, is all around the planet, or so some people think, and other people don't think so. There, there's this whole skewed viewpoint, I guess, and, it, and largely I think it comes partially because it's very confusing, the data, because everyone's quite confused, but I think also partially because of social media. Because if your search terms on social media are around sort of the nature of COVID and you're someone who's very worried about health and maybe you're in mainstream sort of viewpoints, what happens is you get all the data about how personal protective equipment is very important and we need to um, get the second wave down and, and protect the hospitals. And you get, so social media will send you data on, you know, how bad the disease is and how we can stop it. And it's really important. And isn't it a shame that we're, we're suffering this awful disease? And you get that kind of stuff. If you're on the other viewpoint, you're like, you know, anything leaning from this is a government conspiracy, a takeover, to this is a, a fake illness, or or it's just a cock-up, and actually they've made a blunder and, and they've been too harsh with the lockdowns and things, then you'll get data to support that. And what happens is you'll get... Um, uh, you'll get things saying, showing you how low the, the actual death rates are compared to the flu and, and how the masks don't help you and how the economy's going and maybe about how the government are bringing in more control mechanisms and you're bombarded with all this. And the same happens again, is, is both people's viewpoints are supported by highly compelling data. If you, if you want a really easy example of this, like um, you could either take the long track and what you could do is you could deliberately on your social media start searching for the opposite of what you think. So if you're very left-wing, start searching for right-wing things. Look at what people listen to. Start listening for that. It won't be long before your social media changes and, and you'll just be bombarded with all this information you didn't know it existed. And the same with the other way and the same with COVID. If you, if you believe that the disease is, is real and it's really bad, try looking for conspiracy. If you get that, if you think it's a conspiracy, look for um, how to look after yourself against the disease and you'll get lots of data to data that way is what happens. And once again, you're back in your, your little echo chamber. Now, why am I talking about that? It's because I think that really you can't ignore the cultivational aspect of this because what happens is, as I said, you get these experiences from your parents, your, your life experiences, bad experiences, you have a good experience with people you had, your, your news now, your social media, the data that comes in um, as well. Basically, anything that's ever happened to you goes into your experience. And then what happens is it gets stored as memory. It gets stored as body memory or mental memory or, or whatever. And then really, especially according to how they view it in the Eastern tradition, especially some of the Hindu writings are very clear on this, that your intellect, your intellectual mind, which is the part of the mind that we largely use to make decisions, unless you're someone who just follows gut feeling all the time, which is not the majority of us who use your intellect. Um, I would use and put your emotional feelings a little bit. I know it's not the same as intellect, but it has a closer connection to it than your than your intuition. But if, if these two are applied to make decisions, the database that they draw upon is your memory. That's where it comes from. Largely your intelligence, not all of it, a large part of your intelligence is to do with your, your memory, your ability to recall data, but also your ability to recall um, experiences and then make a decision based upon, upon that. If we deny that fact, um, then already much of the Eastern teachings around the mind and how it works are largely defunct anyway. So I'm not saying it's wrong for your intellect to derive data from that data bank that you have. But what people forget is you didn't choose your data bank. You didn't choose the information that's stored inside you because you didn't choose the experiences you have. You didn't choose preference. You can't choose whether you like or dislike something. You can choose to ignore whether you dislike or dislike something, but you like like or dislike. You can't choose what you like or dislike. 
uh, that's that's kind of in built into you. I guess we can reprogram ourselves with some time, but generally the um, instinctive reactive um, preference of something, and that's nice, that's not nice, that's not chosen. Um, and it's the same with the data that's stored within our memory. So if I've had a life that gives me very compelling data um, upon, that, take politics again, because it's an easy example. But if I take the data that supports a left-leaning political stance, socialism and, and things like this, and that data has been very compelling and it seems very sensible to me, um, generally what it appears as is very compassionate to hold that view, then I will make my decisions based upon that data and then intellectually make a, a decision upon it. But because you don't have the data of the other person, you don't come to the same conclusion. So somebody who's very right-leaning, actually in many cases, um, right-leaning people will come to the same conclusion um, that it's a very compassionate stance, which I think is quite funny because the left-wing view is the right-wing is very uncompassionate. And actually these days the right-wing view is the left-wing view is very uncompassionate as well. <laughs> it, it's funny to see because I have friends in both political camps. But the right-wing people will have a different set of experiences and a different set of data, which is equally as compelling. I, I have to say that someone who I'm someone who likes to explore lots of different things, and I've seen very compelling data from both sides. I don't particularly lean either way. Um, it's not really that important to me, which is another thing that offends people. I'll talk about that in a minute, but I don't. it's not very important to me. But if you have a set of data based on experiences and things that tell you that the right-wing view is is right, um, the very sort of, uh, I guess in America, Republican view or something, then it's just going to seem logical to go to that um, place and go that way. So this is why I say you don't really choose your political view. Not really. You, you, could, you could choose it you could only choose it by going against the data you have. This is, this is <laughs> which would seem odd. So this is kind of like where, where we come to, is this is where the Eastern idea of the illusion of free will comes from. Because we, we do have choices that we make, but that choice is based upon the data we have. And the data must be based upon the memory of experiences or things we've been told, which is not necessarily our choice. It just isn't. It's given to us. We don't choose what's going on. And social media is a dangerous tool for me in this position because it reinforces our position to give us the illusion that nobody else thinks differently and also gives us the illusion that ours is the only sensible and compassionate viewpoint um, when in actual fact both political positions have very compelling data from from various directions it's amazing how you can take even something that you're highly against um, politically and look at the other viewpoint um, okay there's some extremes of course but ignoring the extremes you can look and there's very compelling data the other way, which is why there's there's an even split and people argue so much over it because the data is compelling both directions, just so you're not seeing the data that's compelling either direction. So where does this come down to? Well, first of all, it means that it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have an opinion on something, not at all. I think that's okay and I think it's okay to voice your opinion. But where the problem comes from is then when you damn someone for having the opposite viewpoint. So if we look at American politics right now, um, I recently posted a picture of Trump, for example, on my Facebook page. And actually, um, it wasn't a political thing. It was just a joke because I find Trump's tweets kind of funny. Um, that's not pro or against Trump, not at all. I just find his tweets funny. So I faked a tweet and put it on with a picture of Trump, just making a joke. And underneath what I got was sheer anger from people saying I'd supported Trump, which I really hadn't supported Trump. Two people said they couldn't ever deal with my Facebook page again because they don't want to come on a Facebook page and see a picture of Trump. Um, I understand, but I think it's a bit daft. If you can't see something without being upset um, to that degree, then I think you've got bigger problems than whether your microcosmic orbit is open. And I don't even mean that in a disparaging or derogatory way. I really do. I think if you're, you're struggling that much with life, that seeing a picture of somebody that you don't politically agree with upsets you to the point of almost throwing a fit um i think you need help i actually think you need help i do i think you need psychological assistance and i don't think qigong is the thing that's going to do that for you so i put this thing on trump and it wasn't pro it wasn't against it was nothing it's just jokes i'm finding funny i'd equally put biden up i'm not even american so american politics don't make any difference to me i'd put whoever i don't even know who they are boris johnson and Who's the other guy? I don't know. I don't even know who the two party leaders are in the UK. That's how unimportant politics are to me. But I would post either of them up. I don't mind it if it was funny. Now, uh, what I also had was then people underneath saying, as if it was okay, Trump supporters are all fascist Nazis who need 
locking up or shooting or something like this really extreme, uh, which I thought was strange because I find that a lot of those people posting that are supposed to be teachers of Qigong and, and some of them would say they're doing it for health, but also some of them would be some of them would be calling themselves cultivators. Now, what it what it struck me as was how little cultivation have you done? Because one of the first realizations that almost every one of the Eastern traditions comes to, one of the first conclusions, is how little free will you have in your decision-making um, basis, like how, much, how little free will you have, because it, it, it's based upon memory and experience, which you don't choose quite often. You can make an intellectual decision based upon that data, but you don't have all the data. So to instantly say that somebody else is evil or needs punishing because of their opposite viewpoint politically, I think shows a lack of cultivation because it shows that you haven't even understood that the person chose, probably came to that conclusion because of experiences they had that are beyond their control. Um, and on top of that as well, it means you don't even understand yourself that you also probably have come to that conclusion because of experiences you have that are beyond your control, which is probably being reinforced by social media and maybe even by the social groups that you have. The truth of the matter is, and this is the truth, and pe people might say, how arrogant of you, Demo, say this is the truth. Maybe. But the truth is that there are compelling arguments for both political standpoints generally, and there are good and bad points of both people's arguments. And this is long of political standpoints. They have strengths, they have weaknesses, things that people on the right say that make sense and things that don't to me. There are things that people on the left say that make sense and don't to me. But that's because one of the rules of yin and yang, right, that always it contains a little bit of the opposite. There is never perfection in anybody's viewpoint. Um, and this is why when you see politics generally, there's almost always, in almost all votes these days, we pretend there's a landslide, we call it a landslide victory. The landslide victory is sometimes like 3%, 4%. Like, it's pretty evenly split. There's a reason it's pretty evenly split with regards to political standpoints. It's not because half of the nation... A complete arseholes because they disagree with you. It's just because they're operating on different data. Um, and there's compelling arguments both ways. There generally is. Um, and generally what happens is people will then demonize the compelling data of the other way. And, and it's generally inaccurate. They'll see something as racially motivated when it really isn't. Or they'll see something as financially motivated when it really isn't. Normally what that is, is your own um, opinion or distortion placed upon somebody else's viewpoint because you don't have the data that they're operating to. And Again, only an example. If you took that politics, you applied it to something else, COVID, people are angry if they believe they're crazy conspiracy theorists, or the people going, oh, the, the norms who don't understand that actually it's all domination, the, the, what do you call them, sheeple, or something like that over the COVID. Again, it's the same thing. You just, you just have different sets of data, and you're, and you're operating to that. It's not free will. If you think it's free will, you've got more self-exploration to do, really, because you... <laughs> you have some free will, but you have a lot less free will with regards to your mind um, than you think. So every time that there is a demonization of somebody else for operating without free will, um, I think that shows a lack of cultivation. I think that shows a lack of um, a lack of awareness of the nature of how such decisions are come to. I mean, we see it on a simple level when people are proud or ashamed of their race. I think that's a weird one. I think proud or ashamed of race. You didn't choose your race. I didn't choose to be born English. Um, so I'm not proud of it. I'm not ashamed of it either. Someone born, I don't know, from Botswana, randomly. Don't know why that popped into my head. I've never thought about Botswana. Shouldn't be proud or ashamed of being from Botswana. It, it's not their choice. It's just something they did. They should be neutral to it. Like, um, it's okay to uh, enjoy your country and love you, but pride is a very strange thing, a very strong sense of pride. You didn't choose it. If you want to be proud of something, you should be proud of something you achieved. To be born from the birth canal of someone in a particular <laughs> country is a very odd one. Your age is another one. To be proud or ashamed of your age. You should be neutral to your age. Whether you're 80 or whether you're 20, it doesn't really matter. You didn't choose it. Women are ashamed of their age because they're past whatever is deemed as a, an attractive age or whatever, I suppose. And I think it's weird because, again, you didn't choose it. Proud or ashamed. Proud or ashamed of of a sports team that you supports achievements. You didn't achieve it. I mean, you could argue you can be proud of your your children or your family's attainments. That's nice. That's nice. But there's a link there, and maybe that pride is okay if it's applied to something like that. But I do find it weird if you if people take a sort of... 
I'm talking like an almost animosity-based pride, you know, we're British and proud of something you didn't achieve. I think that's very weird. I think that shows a kind of, um, maybe that's a little bit unfortunate. Maybe that shows a, a lack of actual achievement. Maybe you've never actually, or maybe you don't feel like you've ever actually achieved something. So you have to take pride in things that were given to you that you didn't achieve to make up for that. I don't know if that's just so. If that's true, then that's very, that's very unfortunate. I'm sad that people feel that way. I think that's very unfortunate. But you get this now with with proud or ashamed of of your the color of your skin or or something like this. It's it's very um, it's very peculiar. I don't. But but people can't hear you because if you say you shouldn't be proud, they assume you mean you should be ashamed. No, I don't think so. I think you should just be neutral. It's it's not. It's just it is what it is or or whatever. But. I'm aware that that's not a not always a popular view these days, but I do think it's rather strange. But if you apply that to, you know, kind of like, sorry, I know it's a bit rambling this one. I'm ju I'm just sort of chatting. <laughs> really, I got a class to teach tonight, um, so I'm just on Zoom. So I'm just I'm just sort of having a chat uh, to get myself in the mood for teaching, I suppose, as much as anything. But if if you can sort of look at that, this kind of proud or shame or whatever, what they do is they create, this is where the sense of identity comes from. And once you have this sense of identity, this starts to anchor into you, then what it does is it moves you away uh, from touching that part of your being that I would call Tongxin, um, that part of your being that is, is free from that sense of identity. To attack others, to create a sense of self-righteousness because somebody else doesn't have the same viewpoint as you, I think is very strange. It's okay to disagree with people, of course, and it's okay to voice that opinion, but you should be able to disagree with someone in, um, in an uninsulting uh, fashion. And like I say, the political viewpoint is an easy example of it. How many people we have ranting? The fucking stupid Trump supporters, or the, the what's the other one? The idiot anti-far... Black Lives Matter assholes or whatever. This is the thing, isn't it? You're seeing this, the mud being slung and and stuff like that. And I think that's I think that's understandable because that's how human beings or I think that's all, all <laughs> creatures operate in a level of conflict. But I do think it's strange from the position of someone that's supposed to be a cultivator because a cultivator shouldn't necessarily agree with somebody else's viewpoints because you're okay to have an opinion. But you shouldn't demonize someone for having a political viewpoint that they didn't really choose because they're only operating from the data that they have, and their data is not necessarily wrong. It's probably not. Their data is just different um, from yours. So that's producing, uh, a, the cause is producing a different uh, different effect. Why is this getting in the way of people's Qigong practice? To bring me full circle back to why, why this is important. Well, on an esoteric level, on an esoteric level, your channel system and the quality of your qi is, is, is governed by your mind. It really is. And and people can say, in Chinese medicine, they oversimplify it. And they say, you know, if you have negative emotions or blah, 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 you're full of anger or something, it'll block a channel. That's true. But actually, more importantly, the stronger your sense of identity, which is normally based um, in this kind of self-righteous defense of your position because you believe it's your own rather than something that's just given to you. But this that kind of act of that actually stagnates and prevents um, the chief from moving. It really does. Because the mind and the body are so inextricably connected that you cannot practice a bodily art like yoga or qigong and expect to get results if the mind is blocked. What is a blind mind blocked by? The mind is not blocked by wrong political view. The mind is blocked by wrong view. And part of the wrong view is to believe that your view is independent. That is what wrong view is, is largely is that your view is, you believe your view is independent of causative factors. You think it's your your pure free will that has created that. And, and essentially that's what closes um, the mind up, which then restricts the body that creates the problems in, in cultivation. If you want to look at how to change this, one of the first things that are always discussed in, in almost all religions or spiritual traditions is to develop an understanding of, of other people. Because if you can understand, you've got two ways, right? You can either develop an understanding of how you've, your viewpoints are formed, but once you look inside and you explore and you generally realize that based upon experiences you have, which are different to other people's experience, you can understand that your viewpoint is probably no more valid than anybody else's. But at the same time, the other way to do it is to look at other people's viewpoints. If you're one of those people who tends to be a bit more extroverted in your views, and by developing an understanding of how other people's viewpoints are based upon their experiences, you start to realize that's not so different from yourself. So in the same way, that kind of um, process is applied uh, and you come to the correct 
view, if you like, which is the um, the correct view is to understand that there is no <laughs> there is no view that's wholly correct um, or independent of causation, um, and this will then enable you to develop with regards to your your cultivation uh, practices as well. This is eradication of self. What you should also look at is something that isn't discussed in Eastern arts, and only because of the age it came from, is in, in Eastern arts what they normally talk about is spirit or, or Brahmin or, or, or Godhead or whatever, whatever, you know, some kind of higher state. And then what you have is the Buddha mind or whatever. Different models have different layers, and then they have consciousness, and they have acquired mind, then you have your ego, some traditions call it, you know what I mean? There's like layers of consciousness or awareness down to like your intellect and your personality and your distortions. They should have added telephones and social media. Or if they develop the traditions now, they would. I can guarantee Jesus or Buddha would talk extensively about the damage your iPhone is doing to you. And he probably tweeted out via the iPhone for you as well. Um, because this has become another layer of identification. And another layer of communication. We can't deny that the communication that takes place via social media is many ways during this COVID period is replacing the communication that we have person to person. It used to be less than interacting, personal interaction, then it leveled out with, and now I think it's overtaken. So your behavior with regards to how you interact with people on social media, I think is um, probably, I think actually, the first place you should start with regards to your cultivation. Now, I'm aware of the hypocrisy of that because I've had periods where I've lost my temper with someone on social media. Of course, we all do occasionally. But you should have the ability to step back and realize how stupid that was because it's not as minor as you might think. Okay, you might think, oh, well, I'd be polite to people in person, but it's okay just to shout at them on Facebook because that's what everyone does. But but don't you realize like there's, a, there's an emotional reaction to it, to that person uh, as well as yourself, and if not to you, probably to the other person. And if you're upsetting them by saying, you Trump supporting fuckwit or you antifar jizz bucket i don't know <laughs> whatever fuck you want to call them if if you can't understand that that you're generating a probably an emotional reaction in that person they're generating an emotional reaction in, in you um you should see that that's actually adding to the kind of self-righteousness you have and it's reinforcing the position that you have at that moment and it's reinforcing that then it's strengthening your sense of self so it's moving you away from this tongshin so it's making your practice harder i know some people that have practiced meditation a long time and and they're very politically active and they're very um opinionated on this and very insulting towards the other side politically and then they can't understand why they're not developing in their practice it, i think if you if you um took a look at the relationship between mind and body you might see that maybe the two are um intertwined and, and sadly, we will try to do anything we can to justify our position, to justify our beliefs, to, to justify our political standpoint, our opinions, our views on certain groups of people, on genders, on this, that, and whatever. I don't know. Everything. I mean, that, that, it's a highly opinionated world, isn't it? But because we're constantly strengthening those, we will do anything to justify our position. So we will deny, or, or I've seen internal arts practitioners venomously deny that their political standpoint is affecting their cultivation. And I will tell you with certainty that that's bullshit. <laughs> Your lack of ability to be neutral um, on such, with regards to the, the nature um, and the worth of another human being because of their political viewpoint, is holding you back. It doesn't matter whether you believe, take the American elections for now, it doesn't matter if you believe that People who vote blue, is it? Biden? Blue? It's the other way around. Red and blue is the other way around in England, so I get confused. But if you vote, if you, it doesn't matter if you think that Democrats are the biggest scum on the earth because they don't understand, or if you, it doesn't matter if you think that Trump supporters, red, yeah, that's right, Trump supporters are the most evil people on earth and they're all gun-toting rednecks who hate black people or whatever. It doesn't matter which of those two views you hold. They're probably both not true, I'm afraid. They're probably not true. I've met decent people on both sides of the fence with very um, sensible reasons for why they vote the way they do. It's very individual. Um, there's all sorts of causative factors, personal experiences and things like that. It doesn't matter which way you believe. If you project that sort of animosity towards the other side because you're giving um, you know, more value to your position because you, you don't understand its come from experience, you are holding yourself back in your cultivation. You really are. Um, because you will block everything in your your mind cannot develop the evolution of your spirit is being held in place 
um, by your inability to see the nature of why you think what you think. Now, if you take that, because I wanted to use politics as a maybe as an emotive example, because it does tend to upset people. I don't know why it doesn't upset me at all, um, not even slightly, but it, it often does most people. But uh, if you can take that and then you can apply it to almost anything with regards to your personality or your viewpoint, um, what you think compared to other people or something like this. And I don't mean um, techniques. I mean, the tools, there are right and wrong tools, aren't there? That's true. You know, you need the correct method. But with regards to your view of life, I'm talking here, your view of life, if you, you, if you can take that and you can apply it to the rest of your views, you'll see just how little value <laughs> your actual view has. Um, if you believe, if, if you attribute the value of a belief to be based upon um, the independent sort of existence of it that's not based upon things that are beyond your control, because it, it generally is. Uh, free will with regards to your opinions is generally an illusion. And that was agreed upon by the majority of um, traditions and certainly spiritual teachers. And anybody who cultivates to a certain degree will find um, that that's the case. So where do we start, just in conclusion? Well, we start simply. Morals, ethics. Okay, you could say those are very much based on individual things, but there's certain things we know, isn't there? We know what causes hurt to people. We know what causes pain to people. Um, let's try to avoid that. Let's build our morals and ethics around that. Manners as well. I think that's fair enough. Manners, ethics and morals are all based upon not upsetting someone else. doesn't mean we don't have to say what we think, um, but maybe we find a better way to say it or a better way to present it to not hurt people. I've known spiritual teachers who think it's okay to hurt people because I'm just being true to myself. Not really. That means you're showing a lack of understanding or empathy, lack of manners. So I think cultivation begins there. These days, we don't like to talk about that. There's a movement towards justice, talking about justice rather than um, sort of morals, isn't there? We like to punish. We, we say it's okay to think whatever you like, but we'll punish those people that don't think the same as us. Or we'd like to call for the punishment of the people that don't think the same. I think that's, that's a bit backwards, and I think that's an unfortunate um, quality of our time that we place that importance upon justice rather than, than morals or ethics, a shared moral or ethical code, which is not to hurt other people. I think that's a shame. So I think it starts there. And then I think from there, the Tong Shin idea of deconstructing or understanding that your opinion and a lot of your sense of self is based upon experience that's stored within the memory of the body. This is all related to things like the samskaras and stuff like that within Eastern traditions and that. But you can look those up yourself if you're interested in, um, in what those are. But if we can deconstruct this idea and understand that Everything is based upon the experience you have that will be on your control. It doesn't make your experiences wrong for you. It doesn't mean that you are not able to have a viewpoint. Definitely not. Um, I have a political viewpoint, which I may as well tell you now. I'm kind of centrist because most people will be jumping to conclusions from what I've said. They'll be choosing right or left. Actually, I sit kind of in the center. I think there's strength to both viewpoints. And I've often thought that politically um, around most political arguments and for that reason I, I, I literally stay out of voting <laughs> I don't vote because I figure I never have done I never will do and I think that offends people quite often that I don't vote I take the stance that I don't vote because I sit kind of in the middle I can see strengths on both sides um, and I figure I don't know enough about it so I'll ruin the results for other people and I don't wish to get involved in a side taking argument that I think creates more damage for society and more damage for people. I think that, that taking a strong view creates more damage for society and people than either view does in its own right, personally. I think the interaction between the two sides is where the problem lays, between the left and the right. So for that reason, I choose to stay out of it uh, as best I can and continue to just post amusing memes um, <laughs> of either political persuasion, um, if I find it funny. So... That's my view, and it might seem like um, some of that is a bit irrelevant to cultivation. I don't think it is. I think it's one of the most important parts of it. If you have the correct method, you also need the correct, um, or you need to look inside and, and figure out what's going on and, and not think that your political viewpoint or your opinions um, are not going to hold you back, because they will do at some stage. Be like Fester the dog. Fester the dog knows nothing about Trump or Biden, but he does know how to pick. Oh, God, that's gross. He's got something gross in his feet. He doesn't know how to pick gross stuff out of his feet. What on earth have you been doing? 
So um, that was my chat on that. Sorry if it was a bit rambling and seemed a bit beside the point, um, but I just want to talk about it. I'm sure underneath this, um, I can already I can already predict. I know what a lot of comments will be. Um, there'll be people. Yes, but my political view is this, and because yes, but but in the, and straight away, if you do that, you're missing the point. You really are, because I'm sure maybe there are valid qualities to your argument. But uh, I'm sure that Trump has done some bad things. I'm sure Biden's done some bad things. I'm sure Boris Johnson's done some bad things. I can't even name any other politicians. That's how out of touch I am with politics. Who's another politician? Maggie Thatcher. No, that's she's dead. That was a long time ago. I don't know. But I'm sure they've all done good and bad things. Maybe you can't see the good things. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But you, you're missing the point. Is it's not, it's not whether they've done good or bad things or whether they're, they're good or bad for people. It's that you believe that your viewpoint was developed from anything other than your personal experiences which are different from other people's so therefore other people's are invalid that's what i think is the problem it ultimately leads to a lack of empathy which um is no good for anybody so thank you very much thanks festive